Welcome, everyone. I'm Bob Wurzelwalker, the director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. And this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We'll hear a personal story from someone deeply affected by that issue. And finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. Today's topic is about the possibility of making abortion illegal in the state of Ohio. Today's guest is Mary Parker. Director of Legislative Affairs for the Ohio Right to Life. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So happy to be here. So Mary, there are two primary pieces, I think, that we're going to talk about today. First will be the case coming up in the U.S. Supreme Court, Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health, often referred to as simply Dobbs. This is the case that many think could possibly overturn Roe v. Wade here in this country, giving states the ability to put restrictions, more restrictions on abortion, even pre-viability. And then this other piece we want to talk about is a new piece of legislation in the Ohio Senate right now called the Human Life Protection Act, which should Roe v. Wade and Casey, for that matter, be overturned, then that law would then go into effect and make abortion illegal in the state of Ohio. So which one of those two, where do you want to start talking about this today? Well, you know, it's funny. I think we actually should be talking about Texas first and what happened at the Supreme Court yesterday, um, just because that influences this conversation and what people are thinking of. So if you're, if you're good with that, I'm good with that. I'm good with that, Mary. You know, this is why you're on the show, because you know what you're talking about. And I didn't even give you that option. That's great. So Texas, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. But for, for our listeners, let's talk about what's happening in, in the state of Texas right now. So in the state of Texas, they passed Senate Bill 8, the Texas heartbeat law. It's similar to the Ohio heartbeat law that we passed in 2019 that was signed into law by Governor DeWine. But what is revolutionary about the Texas law is that it includes a private right of action. So with this private right of action, basically it allows private citizens to enforce the law. And I think what they were thinking of in drafting the law this way is that they wanted to go about the current mechanisms where typically, if you have a pro-life law, one of the biggest problems is you work really hard, you get this legislation passed, and then there's a court case that enjoins the law and stops it from going into effect. Which is the Um, case with the heartbeat law right here in Ohio, of course. Exactly. So Texas said, well, we realize this is a problem. How can we nip that problem in the bud? And so they enacted the private right of action mechanism. So instead of there being criminal charges, it's more of civil suits being brought about by private citizens to sue abortion clinics and anyone who's involved with abortion being performed on women. So that could be, you know, the person driving the woman to the clinic, the landlord of the clinic, anyone who's involved. And that recently just made its way to the Supreme Court, it was expedited because there were two lawsuits. Basically, the United States government said that we're going to sue the state of Texas for doing this, for blocking people's constitutional right to have an abortion. But then also there are these issues with this case and the private right of action. And it's those two issues that made made their way to the court. This is all a little complicated, but the takeaway here is that what the court heard yesterday and what the court is looking into right now is, is the private right of action a good method for enforcing abortion laws? And so that is the question that they're asking. And can the United States government sue a state and private citizens with regards to a law? Does that make sense? 
I'm aware, I'm very, I've read, you know, about the law. I understand that the difference is what you already said. The difference is that it's private citizens now that could, that can bring lawsuits. But I guess I don't understand what makes that different. Why is it that the judicial system looks at that differently and says, I can't stop that, or I don't think I have a right to stop that, whereas they can do that? With this, it's kind of, it's typically the state that enforces the laws right. versus private citizens. And Texas specifically, I think, said that the state cannot enforce it and the state cannot be involved. So I think that's why things are complicated down in Texas, why people have questions about Texas, because if the state isn't enforcing a law, then who is and whose right is that? And so that is the question they're trying to address. So is part of it that the state can't sue because they're not really not involved? Well, right. Those who are in favor of abortion can't sue the state because the state isn't enforcing the law. And that's the crux of the Texas private right of action. Basically, you would have to sue private citizens about this versus the state. So they're just trying to figure out, is that a good mechanism for enforcing the laws? And how should the federal government respond to Texas passing this law? And you just said something about yesterday. So what happened yesterday? So yesterday they had oral arguments and they expedited the case and they had oral arguments with the United States government and those involved with the Texas heartbeat law. So we are still waiting to hear the court's decision. We're not quite sure when that decision will be. It would be very helpful if it was sooner rather than later, but we were just very you know, surprised to see that the court took it as quickly as it did. But I think it's also important to note that the court did not vacate the law. And what that means is that the court let the Texas heartbeat law stay in place. So that's good news for us pro-lifers because I think almost 10,000 babies have been saved in Texas since September 1st because of the heartbeat law. Right. Every time I see a pro-life law, right, while it's being in the courts, it gets vacated, as they say, and mm -hmm. it's not put in place while you wait to find out what the decision is. In this case, it's staying in place for the final decision. That seems very unusual. Is that unusual in your experience with abortion law as well? Yes, I would think so, that they let it stay in place. And I think you see that surprise also with news commentators saying that, well, we're going to have to look into this, but they let the law stay in place. So you wanted to start with that. How does this tie in with what we want to talk about with the Dobbs case that is coming up? Well, I think the first thing that's important to note is that this current case at the Supreme Court, these two cases, are not the Dobbs case. These cases actually have really nothing to do with the current federal jurisprudence about abortion. Rather, the court is looking at the procedural issues with the Texas heartbeat law. They're not going to address issues of whether or not abortion is a constitutional right. Now, with the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case, oral arguments will be on December 1st. And with this case, what you have at play is the state of Mississippi passed a pre-viability abortion ban. So in Mississippi, their state legislature and governor said, we are going to ban abortion at 15 weeks. And so this is the case that's going to the court. And so the question that the court is going to ask is, is it constitutionally permissible that a state have pre-viability abortion bans? And this is big news for everybody in the pro-life movement. 
so there are, if our listeners don't know, and you might know the number, there are several states that have traditionally called heartbeat laws that even ban abortion earlier than 15 weeks. I don't know if Mississippi is the only one that has one that's at 15 versus like eight or nine, but there are several states that are trying to do this. But Mississippi's now which is very exciting, as you just said, is now before the Supreme Court and the court is going to decide whether or not that is constitutional for a state to do that. So if it's determined that that is constitutional, I guess there's already several laws on different states that restrict abortion that will all be able to go into effect that are currently tied up with the courts. Is that correct? Right. And I think the question that people have for the court at this moment are how broadly or how narrowly will they rule in this case? So let's say they rule very broadly. You know, they could say that, well, the right to regulate and prohibit abortion should be returned to the states. Right. And this is why. And they can give those reasonings. Or they could, you know, make changes to the undue burden standard that was put in place by, I believe it was Casey versus Planned Parenthood in the 90s. You know, or they could rule that, well, you know, maybe at 12 weeks, that's when you can start having pre-viability bans. So there's a lot of different ways that the court could rule at the moment. Right. I think I would be surprised if the court would would make some kind of a medical 12-week kind of decision. That doesn't sound like something they ought to be trying to do. I totally agree. I think that the court has gotten into problems before because they haven't used the most up-to-date medical information. I mean, with, you know, if you read about Roe versus Wade, they did not use modern medicine, modern science, or they didn't have it available to understand exactly what was happening with a pregnancy. And that's why ultrasounds were such a game changer for the pro-life movement, because we could see that baby, we could see how that baby was developing. So I think the court really needs to update our federal jurisprudence to match modern science. I think that's part of it. You talk about images and technology, right? Uh, How ultrasound totally changed the game. I saw a picture recently that compared what an image, an ultrasound image looked like in 1973 versus, you know, 4D ultrasound, what they look like today. And I mean, for what that's worth, what you can visually see right now with an ultrasound machine, that can be pretty decisive how different it looks now than it used to look. I remember when my nieces and nephews were first born and my sister or sisters-in-law, they would show the the 10-week ultrasound. They'd be all excited, rightfully so. But I would look at the picture there and I would say, you know, I I don't see anything. (laughs) I don't even know what you're looking at, right? But today... It's very clear what it is that you're looking at. And I'll just so technology has really, has really changed, right? And this standard that was kind of put forth specifically in the Roe v. Wade case was going further than judges should be going, it seems to me. Right. Because it's not a judge's job to rule like, what is science? What are the scientific facts that we know? Even in the Casey case, there was this odd, he's talking about what is reality, you know, and reality can kind of be what you make it. And that's not a judge's place to make those decisions. It's their place to interpret the laws and whether or not those laws are constitutional. Right. Right. So a lot of people think that the court is going to have to decide, well, they are going to have to decide whether this is constitutional or not for what Mississippi is doing with this 15-week ban. They think it's likely that they're going to have to decide whether this viability standard that was put in place here on various previous cases whether they should stand, whether it makes sense for them to continue to stand. A lot of people think they may not. Part of this, you know, we need to recognize that that viability is a moving target. 
right. that's always changing because modern medicine is finding new ways to support unborn life. I mean, now you can even do surgeries on unborn children. You can give them anesthesia. We know that they feel pain. So personally, I'm hoping that the court will look at that and say, well, is this the best standard for judging whether or not we should have abortions based on viability? Because it will keep moving. But as far as how broadly or narrowly the court will decide, I think that's yet to be seen. I mean, this could be the first case among many. This could be a landmark case where, like Roe v. Wade, they make a very broad decision, and then the landscape of the pro-life movement will be forever changed here in the United States. Right. So right now, I think we mentioned this already, The Ohio is one of those states that has a heartbeat bill in place. It came in place, I think it was 2019, right? Right which means that if Roe v. Wade is overturned and the ability to make more restrictive laws is returned to the states, it would already be the case that abortion would be restricted in Ohio at the detection of a heartbeat, which is six, seven, eight. I believe that's already the case. So now there's another bill currently in the Senate here in Ohio that would restrict abortion even more than that. So tell us about that. So right now, if Roe v. as you just said, if Roe v. Wade were overturned, we would have the heartbeat bill in place. And there'd probably even have to be another lawsuit to remove that injunction and make sure that the law could go into effect. But we realize that we're at this pivotal moment in history. And so we've introduced the Human Life Protection Act, Senate Bill 123, 123. And what this bill will do is once the court issues a decision saying that states can regulate pre-viability abortions or ban abortion outright, abortion will be prohibited in the state of Ohio. So we're waiting for the federal justices like the United States Supreme Court to give us that green light to do this. And we want to be proactive in our legislative measures. So yes, if this bill passes, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, then abortion will be prohibited in the state of Ohio with a narrow exception for the life of the mother. So this would make abortion illegal with some exceptions with life of the mother exception you mentioned. Are there other exceptions besides that one? No, it would only be life of the mother, and it does not include the mental health clause that has sometimes been in law. So that is not there. Well, if you say health of the mother, that can be, yes, I know that's been defined, right? To be psychological health, emotional health, financial health. I mean, right, it's exactly. term, right? <laughs> right. Uh, you know, life of the mother, it seems to me to be more specific. Right. It would be like life-threatening diseases or those diseases that could cause substantial bodily impairment. Okay. What do we know about the likelihood of this passing in the Ohio legislature? So I am very hopeful. I thank God every day that we have a pro-life majorities in the House and in the Senate here in Ohio, and all of our statewide elected officials are pro-life. We are very lucky that Governor DeWine did sign into law several pro-life bills, including the heartbeat bill. So I am very hopeful that this bill will pass. And for me, it's not a question of if, it's more a question of when. It's currently in the Senate. Do you have a sense of, I guess, every bill is different or typically if it doesn't pass within this number of months, it's probably dead. What do you sense about that? So we just had proponent testimony in the Senate Health Committee. So we still have to get through a couple more rounds of committee hearings and then have it pass the Senate floor and then we restart in the House. But our goal is to have this passed before the court issues that Dobbs ruling. Right. That's expected in the summer of 2020. Right. So June of 2022. So we certainly want to make sure that our Human Life Protection Act is passed before then. Okay. So if people wanted to either find out more information or they want to get involved and help out, what should people do? 
So first, I would say pray. Prayer should always be our first step. And I think, as you mentioned to me, there are several opportunities for people in Cincinnati to either attend a pro-life mass or sign up to be a part of a a pro-life prayer movement in the country. One of the simple things that the USCCB, the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops, is pointing people to related to that Dobbs case is something called Pray for Dobbs. So if you go to PrayForDobbs.com, if you're watching on the video, you can see that on the screen, but it's easy to remember. The first thing you'll see there is the National Prayer Event. So if you are listening to this podcast prior to November 18th of 2021, then you can attend this National Prayer Event. It's a virtual event on November 18th at 8 p.m. You just go to prayfordobs.com, hit reserve your spot, and you can get a link to pray for this event here on November 18th. If it's later than November 18th, when you're listening to this, there is also, because the oral arguments are starting at the Supreme Court on December 1st, the eve of that on November 30th, if you happen to be at least close to Cincinnati in any case, the eve of that on November 30th at 5.15 p.m., the Archbishop of Cincinnati will be saying Mass at the Saints Peter and Change Cathedral in downtown Cincinnati at 515, followed by exposition and adoration for the dignity of all human life to pray for the outcome of this case. So feel free to show up if you are anywhere near that area for that. And we, of course, have encouraged pastors at every parish to do something related to that, especially on December 1st, on the first day of oral arguments as well. And of course, don't stop just on December 1st. Let's continue. If you attend any of these masses or events on November 30th and December 1st related to Dobbs, but you know, just like in Lent, right? When we commit to prayer and sacrifices and such things, or perhaps many of our listeners are familiar with 40 days for life, where people are asked to come pray for the whole 40 days and fast. We can do that from now until this decision comes down next summer. So I do encourage you to think of something, whatever that would be that's appropriate for you. It could be something related to more prayer. It could be something related to a small sacrifice of some sort. It could be any number of things, right? But just think of your own spiritual life and bring to prayer this entire case. It could be a very pivotal moment here in the Respect Life movement. So thank you for suggesting that. What else do we want to invite people to do? As you know, I think prayer also informs all of our actions. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we're also called to participate in our government and how laws are passed. And so I would also invite everyone throughout the state of Ohio to schedule meetings with either their state senator or their state representative to talk about this issue and either challenge them to be more pro-life or to to thank them for all of their pro-life service throughout the years. Now, in terms of contacting your senators, Ohio Catholic Conference, if you Google Ohio Catholic Conference, it'll be it'll come right up. And the very front page of the Catholic Conference of Ohio support the Human Life Protection Act. If you click right there on read more, it'll tell you a little bit about it and send give you a link on how to contact your state legislators. And legislators by diocese, if you know your district, you can click on diocese. But if you're not sure what district you're in, you can also go by parish. Click on Archdiocese of Cincinnati. And if you know your parish and you live in your parish neighborhood, it right there, it tells you who your representative is. The other way you can do it, it says find your legislator by zip code. Find your legislator and legislature's Senate directory, for example, because it's in the Senate right now. And then who represents me 
and you type in your address. I will type in the address of the Arsdiasen offices. There we go. And the House District Mac for this is right here, Catherine Ingram and the Senator Cecil Thomas. So all you have to do is type in your address right there. So there's so many ways. It's very simple right there from the Catholic Conference of Ohio site. Once you contact that, you can contact your senator. You can either send an email, of course, or you can, if you're a little bold, you can call them. I also know if you want to call at three o'clock in the morning, you'll just be leaving a message. If you don't want to actually speak to a person, you don't want to do that. You can just call the number after hours and leave a message then. That's another way to do it. Just for those right who might be shy about doing that kind of thing, you can you can email or call, or you can do it during the day. Talk to an aide and tell them you want to you know leave a message as well. Exactly. So I would just encourage people to get involved in the political process. You know, as Catholics, we are called to take our faith into the public square and be witnesses for Christ there as well. So please get involved, and it is totally worth it. Okay, Mary. So this is good. We'll, we're inviting people to pray. You can do that at the Archbishop's event on the November 30th. Perhaps there'll be something going on at your own parish on December 1st. Make some effort to contact your legislator in the Senate and the House. And it's easy to go online at the OhioCatholicConference.org at that website we just gave you. And that takes you right to the links you need to type in your zip code or your parish, however it is that you want to find out who represents you if you don't already know. Okay. Anything else we should be talking about here today, Mary? I think one thing that is important, and I'll end on this note, is as pro-lifers, we need to show people that we care about all people. And that includes women and their unborn children. So oftentimes I hear that if a woman who's in a vulnerable pregnancy, in a crisis pregnancy, if she just had one person to help them, she would have kept her baby. I mean, think about that. Just one person. So I think if you're looking for a way to get involved in the pro-life movement, and maybe you're intimidated by praying at an abortion clinic, or maybe you just don't feel called to get involved in that way, I would encourage you to see if there's a local pregnancy center and see, you know, do they need diapers? How can we start helping moms? Because that's going to be the next frontier. Say we don't have abortion in Ohio. Well, we're going to have 20,000 extra babies a year. And so I think we need to start organizing now to help these moms be empowered to choose life, to have healthy pregnancies. And you know what? They need good friends. You know, we all need good friends. So I think the Catholic community has a beautiful opportunity, whether it's through your Knights of Columbus, maybe you have a prayer group, maybe you have a ministry at church, maybe it's just you and some friends to get together and really start helping our pregnancy centers. And you do have some wonderful pregnancy centers in the Cincinnati area. I visited with Pregnancy Center West, Pregnancy Center East, so I'm sure they would appreciate your support. You're absolutely right, Mary. And all across the archdiocese, you know, the women's centers, the Elizabeth New Life Centers. Exactly. Uh, there's there's many of them, actually. Just can't even name it. There's too many to try to name. Find the one closest to you and you can get involved. You can get involved by donating diapers and formula. You can get involved by offering to take those donations and organize them at the center. There are so many ways. Just call your local pregnancy center and you can be involved in small and big ways. And even small ways really aren't small. Well, thank you so much, Mary, for talking to us today about the Dobbs case that's coming up in the Supreme Court starting in December and about SB 123, the what? Yep, the Human Life Protection Act. 
here in the state of Ohio, which should Roe v. Wade be overturned, it would make abortion illegal in the state of Ohio, something that would totally, of course, change the pro-life landscape. So thank you so much for talking with us today, Mary. Of course, happy to be here. And I look forward to the day where I can come back and talk to you when abortion is no longer a thing in Ohio, and we have a very different kind of pro-life movement. So thank you very much. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in this episode of our Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website to view all the links talked about in this episode at www.catholicaoc.org slash beingprolife. Thank you again for joining us today. I look forward to being with you next time.